Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents Gridiron Forecast, a weekly roundtable discussion podcast centered around the complex world of fantasy football. Now here's your host, Nick Rizzo. What's going on, everybody? You're listening to Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. This is Gridiron Forecast, Episode 2, a podcast centered around the world of fantasy football. We had an eventful Week 4. We're now at the quarter mark of the season, so a lot to discuss here. Today I'm joined by Seth Fisher and Aiden Butler. Like I just mentioned, an eventful Week 4. Now at the quarter mark of the season, we had some guys explode in Week 4. Also had a couple injuries that are worth monitoring for fantasy purposes. Which brings us into our first segment of the day. Javante Williams, Denver Broncos running back, he goes down. The second-year budding star suffered a torn ACL as well as a torn LCL in Week 4 against the Raiders. Just a devastating injury, not only for Williams, but for the Broncos as well. Um, So this propels Melvin Gordon into the starting running back role for Denver. Mike Boone is now set to be Denver's RB2. So this poses the question, Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, they had a little 50-50 split going on while Javante was on the field. Now, people have mentioned that if one of them goes down, that the other will propel into a workhorse role. Melvin Gordon obviously looking like the clear RB1. Seth, I'll start with you on this one. Javante Williams' injury, what does this mean for Melvin Gordon? What is his outlook? Will Mike Boone eat into Melvin Gordon's workload enough to prevent Gordon from being a clear RB1 for the rest of the season? Yeah, I think most of the things that they're telling you from coaching staff and also roster moves that they really don't love Melvin Gordon as the RB1. He's had a pretty pedestrian season. I think it's th- he's at 3.8 yards per carry. He's fumbled four times this year. They brought in Latavius Murray to add to their practice squad, I believe. Mike Boone's there. They elevated Divine Ozigbo from their practice squad. So they have a group of four running backs, one of which aging, not super talented, but also tenured and experienced. I I have to imagine that he, yes, has the RB1 title, but maybe does not get the workhorse production that a running back one is accustomed to. He's far less of a talent than Javante Williams is. So I'm, I'm not really thrilled about his outlook, but an RB1, I guess, nonetheless. Yeah, and Mike Boone, he's no scrub. He has performed in the NFL in the past when given the opportunity. And Lat Murray, also signed by Denver, added on to that practice squad. He could be elevated up to the active roster on game days as well. So, uh, Aiden, I'll go over to you here. How much of a role will Lat Murray have in this offense? Uh, Latavius Murray, there's not a way he gets more than Three, even if he plays tonight, which I'm not even sure if he's on the active roster for tonight's game, there's he's not going to play a part. It's going to be mostly, uh, as you mentioned, Mike Boone and Melvin Gordon. Even though Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams, for the most part, they're very similar. Um, they don't like to hold on to the ball. Melvin Gordon has had issues with that ever since his Chargers days. That was, what, three-plus years ago, going back to his Chargers days? That was before Herbert was there. Um, he, he doesn't hold on to the ball, so I'd imagine – Mike Boone is going to be thrown in a little bit more uh, than we would have seen down the line. So, like, more 
the, what depends on how the game goes because the Colts have a pretty good uh, rushing defense. While that game kicks off in like an hour from now or an hour and a half, something like that. The Colts have a pretty good rushing defense, um, especially now with only two running backs. I'd assume Russell's going to throw the ball a little bit more. So 40, um, maybe 45 times throwing the ball. So Mike Boone's looking like he's going to do well for as, you know, kind of like a flex spot. Maybe if you don't have anything else, you just want to throw him in there, get what you want, throw him in there. But Latavius Murray, uh, I don't think there's in any way because he hasn't performed to where we know he is able to perform in like the past two and a half years plus. Back when he was, I remember he was with the Ravens at one point and then he was with, he was with a lot of teams in the past two years, but he really hasn't performed well, and I don't see him having a big part with the Broncos roster. Yeah, I agree. Javante was on the field. We saw a 50-50 split between him and Melvin Gordon. Didn't really see any third backs get involved too often. Definitely not expecting Melvin Gordon to leap into a 15-20 to 20 touch role on a weekly basis. As Seth mentioned, he's had fumble issues this year, hasn't really been that efficient. Uh, Mike Boone, he has some fresh legs, hasn't really played many snaps this season. So definitely I'm expecting Melvin Gordon to kind of have the edge on touches, but I think Mike Boone will be a little more efficient, kind of leaning towards more of a 50-50 split that we saw with Javante and Melvin. So that Broncos backfield looking like it could be a potential mess for the rest of the season. But this leads me into another question surrounding Denver. Now that Javante Williams is gone, he, he was their most efficient rusher. He was their most explosive rusher. And I'll lead this kind of into an open discussion, whoever wants to hop in. But Russell Wilson, he's kind of had a mediocre season for Denver so far. Hasn't really lived up to his standards personally. Uh, so now that that rushing weapon in Javante Williams is off the field, don't really have as good as a running game. Are we going to see better days ahead for this passing offense and Russell Wilson? I would hope so, based off the sure fact that they trust the passing game more and need the passing game to work more. It's not like this team isn't a playoff contender. They're going to need some level of efficiency and productivity from the run game or the pass game. They're not really going to get it from an efficient runner like you mentioned in Javante. Might as well fully give the reins to Russell Wilson and feed the ball to those two star receivers. There's really no reason, you know, starting week one, that we should have even had to think about having this conversation. It's Russell Wilson. He's not a scrub. Right, you know, right. We know what he can do. And he's had, like, I don't think he's had a game where he's completed more than 25 passes. I'm pretty sure something like that. I was looking at his stats earlier today. I was looking at um, when it came to fan doing things, taking a look at his uh, completions for today's game, things like that. Because I'd assume that's going to go up today, considering the rush defense that the Colts have. Solid D-line. Um, corners, uh, Gilmore's back there. Kenny Moore, I mean, they're decent. Uh, yeah, uh, they're a little better than decent. But uh, the passing game, for the most part, Cortland Sutton's been holding his own. Uh, he's been the clear number one. Jerry Judy, he's had an interesting season, I'll say. But he's going to have to pick it up. K.J. Hammer's been pretty good as well this season. But it uh, seems like Russell's not getting uh, the amount of time to, like, Play-wise, because they're not running a lot of offensive plays um, when it comes to their offense. But hopefully that starts to change with Russell airing it out a little bit more today. Yeah, and you got to wonder if it's starting to become time to hit the panic button on Denver a little bit. Just a lot of questions. Surrounding I think it might be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A lot of questions surrounding that offense. First, the whole Jerry Judy situation. We haven't really seen him put it all together yet. Cortland Sutton looks like a true WR1 this season, but... Russell Wilson, obviously, he's had his struggles. And now that the run game with Javante Williams, that now becomes a question mark. It's just it's a messy situation over in Denver with that offense. So 
you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see tonight how they can bounce back and respond to Javante's injury and how they approach the run game and approach their offense. But I don't know. I don't know. It's starting to look like it could be a gloomy season over in the mile high. Moving on to our next subject here, Miles Sanders. He exploded against Jacksonville in week four. Uh, he had an absolute career day, 27 carries, 134 yards, two touchdowns, adding two catches for 22 yards overall over the course of the season. He's gotten a large majority of the running back work for the Eagles. He's now third in the NFL in rushing yards. So, again, open discussion here. I pose the question, Miles Sanders, going in the ninth to 10th round in most fantasy drafts this offseason, is he starting to enter clear RB1 status for fantasy managers? Yeah, I would say he is. It's kind of exciting, too. Very exciting. past, what, four years, five years, he has not been the wide, uh, the running back one or two. Uh, he's been pretty underwhelming when it came to fantasy-wise, but this year it seems like they trust him a lot more. Uh, now 27 carries, most likely. I got to believe he's not going to get 27 carries in a game again the entire year. That's a lot. Boston mm-hmm. Scott was out. It was also raining. Right. Um, but 27 carries for 134, 134 yards. I'm pretty sure that was his career high on the ground. Uh, plus, he added those two touchdowns. Running back one. Yeah, the way the season's looking, two, four, and oh, I'd say he is the clear cut. He is a clear cut uh, run back one, especially since this year. It's kind of kind of weird when it came to the running backs for fantasy so far. Nick Chubb, Saquon, they're doing their own. Derrick Henry's kind of been, eh, mm-hmm. even though he's coming off a foot injury. We, um, we talked about this in uh, last week's episode. A lot of early first round, second round guys, they haven't really lived up to expectations. Yeah. So. I watched a guy in my, I'm only in one fantasy league, I watched a guy take uh, Austin Eckler over Derrick Henry. At the time, I was like, it's kind of ridiculous. But both of them, even also though Austin Eckler uh, against the Texans had a great game, even the weeks before that. He wasn't really doing anything either. But uh, Miles Sanders, definitely a clear running back one. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to dub him an RB1 quite yet. I think he's probably a volatile RB2. But, I mean, in the scene that is 2022 so far and how weak this running back room is, you're going to get pop weeks like this. I think he had 29.7 points or something like that. Aiden mentioned he's never going to get 27 carries again, and I'd be hard-pressed to think he gets anything around 20 ever again. So... Yeah, I, I think he probably benefits from the offensive line more than anything else. But the fact that he has shown to Nick Sirianni and the Eagles coaching staff that he is the prime running back in this offense is a beneficial sign. But I think I, I don't think there's many better sell-high candidates than Miles Sanders right now in fantasy. I agree. Now, heading into this season, the main question with Miles Sanders was the workload. Will he get, the, will he get enough touches to maybe possibly make that leap into clear RB1 status. This season, he has gotten the workload, but I'm still a little concerned about the touchdown rate. Jalen Hurts, he's a goal-line vulture. Yeah. He gets a lot of rushing touchdowns in the red zone around the goal line. So, like, for example, week three against Washington, Miles Sanders gets 16 touches, is only able to put up 5.4 PPR points. Now, that is highly because of him being inefficient, but... There was also multiple opportunities around the goal line for him to score that Jalen Hurts vultured from him. So I think the red zone work is a very big concern for Miles Sanders moving forward. Yeah, if they're inside, you know, if they're inside the eight yard line, I'd say um, it's kind of fifty fifty. You don't know if Jalen's going to keep it or if he's going to hand it off to Miles. Really, also you can throw a quick slant to AJ Brown. Now, what biggest receiver on the field now? Mm-hmm. So you can do that too. It's touchdown wise, it is going to get a little harder for Miles Sanders. 
uh, he's more of the breakaway 25-yard-plus run type of touchdown guy, and, you know, it's not going to come very often. But I definitely see where you're coming from, though. Yeah, I agree. Miles Sanders, I I would dub him currently as a high-end, high-upside RB2, very volatile, as Steph, as uh, Seth, excuse me, mentioned. Uh, Miles Sanders just, he's not going to be able to put up 30 fantasy points very consistently. Oh, no, no. I think he'll, he will have weeks where he puts up 30 fantasy points, but he's also going to have those bust weeks where he puts up five fantasy points like he did in week three. So just proceed with caution with Miles Sanders in your lineup. I think currently he's more of a matchup-based play. If he continues to dominate the workload and continues to score touchdowns at an efficient rate, then I think we'll be able to have him make that leap into RB1 status, especially with the current state of fantasy football running backs this season, as previously mentioned. But currently, proceed with caution with Miles Sanders. Moving into our next segment here, Brees Hall. He is quietly getting more involved for the Jets' offense. He is averaging just about seven targets per game. Last week, he was able to corral 19 touches for the Jets. Now, Michael Carter, obviously, he's still in the picture. He was involved heavily early in the season. His workload and... Therefore, fantasy production has slowly declined as the season has gone along. So I pose the question, open discussion once again. Brees Hall, what is his outlook moving forward with Michael Carter still in the picture here? I think it's I think it's approaching high-end RB2, low-end RB1. I think 17 carries and 6 targets in the first game with Zach Wilson is incredibly encouraging. I, I did notice, though, that his upcoming schedule is is an absolute gauntlet. They play Miami, Green Bay, Denver, New England, Buffalo, and New England again. Those are some solid defenses, to say the least. So maybe now sit on him if you have him, and if he starts to play poorly or his numbers aren't there, but the volume is still there, he's a buy-low candidate. But I, th- I think from a product from a production standpoint, he's outperforming Michael Carter. From an, op- from an opportunity standpoint, he's outperforming Michael Carter. I think the offense is okay, and I think the defense is poor enough to allow for some shootout games, and I think Brees Hall's likely the motor the rest of the season that keeps that machine going. Yeah, I agree with Seth um, on most of those points. Looking at it, you know, he can catch the ball pretty well for his type of uh, position he plays. And then Michael Carter, them splitting it like that, I would think, you know, because Zach Wilson's, you know, he's not the type to, well, he is a type to chuck it downfield, but usually turn it over, but um, when it comes to both of them in the backfield, I kind of say low-end uh, low end RB2 um, on a bad day. You got a few injuries, throw him in the RB1 spot uh, if something comes up. But for him, I expect him to get – you're right, he has been very quiet. It's been quietly uh, successful for him this season when it comes to fantasy, but I kind of see it growing a little bit, even though their schedule does get a little bit tougher. Um, seems like – solid running back and especially for the future definitely sit on them um and then keep on them uh, in the in the weeks coming up yeah and the workload has increased it is encouraging seth mentioned the upcoming schedule looking a little rough definitely if you have Brees hall i am holding on to him his playoff schedule he has detroit jacksonville and seattle three very leaky defenses and you know right now Brees hall he doesn't have much value he's kind of kind of flown under the radar a little bit i would expect not many people know that he had 17 rushing attempts, two catches on six targets last week. He kind of starting to fly under the radar a little bit. So definitely if you have Brees Hall, hold on to him. 
make him your RB3, RB4, and then come playoff time, if he's still your RB3, RB4, then you're in great shape because I'm expecting a breakout towards the end of the season here. Maybe it won't come in the near future. You know, you got some tough defenses coming up like Miami, Denver, New England. But then towards the end of the season, on top of that playoff schedule, you have Chicago and Minnesota in weeks 12 and 13. So following that week 10 bye, I think we could see a potential Brees Hall breakout. You know, as we mentioned earlier, Michael, Michael Carter's role has been slowly declining after he did well in the first couple of weeks. Brees Hall starting to show what he can do a little bit for the Jets. And, you know, as Aiden mentioned, Zach Wilson's first game back, it is encouraging that Brees Hall was that involved. Zach Wilson, obviously the option for the rest of the season for the Jets, at least. So it's just great to see that the, those two are starting to gain that connection, especially in the passing game, six targets. I'll add from a, from a market standpoint that if you find some league mate that is high on Melvin Gordon and replacing Javante Williams' production in any way, and you're really not feeling so sure about that, and you feel confident that Brees Hall is going to have this incredibly fruitful playoff schedule and you want to swap a guy like Melvin Gordon and some pieces for Brees Hall for some, right? Because Brees Hall is facing a awful for just terrible schedule. Hasn't had super pop, super great pop weeks to this point. If you can manage some sort of deal in that realm that I think that would be a beneficial late season trade play. Absolutely. All right. Moving on to our next subject here. Going back to the injury realm, Cordell Patterson went down with a knee injury for the run-heavy Falcons. He is placed on IR, expected to miss at least four weeks. Uh, Cordell Patterson, he's starting to get up there in age, so you have to wonder how he'll come back from this injury, if at all, for the rest of the season. Uh, next man up is rookie Tyler Allegier. He got some. He got a little bit of preseason hype, got taken in some drafts in the late rounds. So the question that I pose here, what does Patterson's injury mean for next man up, Algier? And will the run-heavy Falcons now look to throw more, potentially boosting the outlooks of Kyle Pitts and Drake London? Um, well, here's my issue with the Falcons. <laughs> See, I have Kyle Pitts um, as my tight end one. He's actually why. I'm, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I don't think he has had a game where he's had more than two catches. Um. We're and feeling each other's pain. Mariota's not throwing the ball like that. So, mm-hmm. um, Algier seems like he's going to come into his own. He had 84 rushing yards against the Browns, even though the Browns' entire D-line was out pretty much. Um, but, I mean, was, they won the game. Still pretty impressive. 84 yards on 10 carries. I'll get a job done anytime. Um, but who would have thought in the preseason you were saying uh, that Algier would be getting most of the touches, and especially when it comes to the run defense, I mean, the run offense like they have now. Um, Mariota keeping it sometimes. Handing it off, you know, I mean, you would like to see the dunk to Kyle Pitts sometimes. I mean, I would like to see a Kyle Pitts touchdown at least so I can get my points up a little bit. Can we um, at least get a touchdown from Kyle Pitts? I, I'll, I'll take three catches. It's not even a touchdown. Just a day where he has at least three catches. I'll Honestly. even take that. But uh, I wouldn't say at the moment it's going to boost um, Drake London and uh, Pitts' outlooks. I wouldn't say that at the moment. But Algier, uh, he's definitely one if – you know, you're struggling a little bit. Um, I would take a look at them, see what they're doing, look at their schedule, things like that, to see what you're going to do with them. Yeah, I, I think Algier, from a college production standpoint, had pretty historic numbers, and f- from that, you have to like him. I don't think it's an incredibly running back-friendly roster with that offensive line of Mariota, who 
is a threat to run whenever and some solid pass weapons. Though Corderell did or has has to this point gotten the bulk of his fantasy points from the ground, which is kind of surprising. He hasn't really been as involved in the receiving game as he was last year. Algier, I think if you're desperate, is someone that you can look at to get you eight to twelve points based off yards alone. I don't I'm not quite sure if he's some sort of pass threat like Corderell is. And I also you have to you have to think about Damian Williams, who's still on IR, is a threat to be activated at any moment. He's an established NFL veteran with some receiving ability. So I, I think this is, like the Denver situation, kind of a mess and this big conglomeration of guys that you don't really trust all that much. So just, you know, cross your fingers until quarter all gets back, I suppose. Yeah, and look, I'm not I'm not expecting some, some clear RB2 numbers from Algier here. But as you mentioned, Damian Williams coming off the IR potentially soon. You have Ali Jir. Also, the Falcons on Sunday, they had a stretch in that game where they ran the ball for 14 straight plays. Uh, just because Cordell is out, I'm not expecting them to totally veer away from that. I think that the Falcons want the, want the offense to be run heavy. I think that they want Mariota kind of to be more of a game manager. That obviously doesn't bode well for Kyle Pitts or Drake London. That kind of caps their upside a little bit. But I'm expecting the Falcons to continue to move at a run-heavy pace, which benefits Algier and Damian Williams once he eventually comes off the IR. Tyler Algier, he got 11 touches once. Well, Cordell Patterson, he got 9 touches. He was in a limited role. Algier, 11 touches in a 3-back committee. I'm expecting to see more of that committee approach moving forward. So, you know, Algier, 11 to 13, 14 touches a week. That should be good for some solid flex numbers, but not expecting the world out of any Falcons running back or any Falcons player for that matter, especially in the passing offense. You know, we've seen Drake London show flashes, but obviously, as previously mentioned, his upside is capped with the Falcons going towards a run-heavy approach this season and then, we all know about the we know we all know about the shambles of Kyle Pitts owners mm-hmm. and how they've been put through the ringer so far this season. So the Falcons offense just overall just it's been a mess and I'm expecting it to continue to be a mess for fantasy purposes moving forward. So now we're going to we're going to switch gears a little bit towards some wide receiver potential drop candidates. Now these guys they to say the least, have not lived up to expectations so far this season. Some of these guys have have had more expectations than some of these other guys going into the season, but nonetheless, all these guys have been disappointments. So we're going to go to Seth and Aiden one by one here. We're going to name some potential drop candidates. You guys are going to let me know if you're dropping these players, if you're hitting the panic button. And if you are dropping these players, then who are some potential waiver wire candidates that you're keeping your eye on to replace with these guys. So, Seth, we'll start with you. Allen Robinson. He has perhaps been the biggest disappointment of any wide receiver this season. Is it time to hit the panic button on him? Um, It's funny because I just traded him away today, but I traded for him a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. unfortunately. <laughs> um, I don't know if he's a drop candidate per se. I think he's a trade candidate based off name name alone. He for some reason, just doesn't really have that separation ability like he did in Chicago last year, which was still solid. It was just Fields wasn't able to get him the ball. And this year he's in a much better offense, but something just isn't really clicking between scheme and his ability. So I think if he's 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 movable, 
for someone that likes him or likes his outlook. But I, I don't I don't think you can drop him. What about you, Aiden? You hitting the panic button on A Rob? As of now, I'm saying keep him, but it all depends on what happens um, against Dallas this week. If he has another game under 20 yards, underperforming, especially fantasy wise, I'd say at that point, it's I'd say at that point it's safe to go ahead and drop. And then picking up wise, I've got a few options. Um, I really like Ben Skoranek, even though he's kind of uh, low tailored when it comes to the points right now, but I feel like he's kind of grown into his role again. And then another person I like, Josh Reynolds, um, the wide receiver up there in Detroit. He's been he's had a few touchdowns, I believe, now at this point, having some pretty good games so far, 243 yards total in the season. I'd start to look that way uh, towards replacing Allen Robinson in your rosters. Yeah, Allen Robinson, so far this season, only one game with 10-plus points. Sean McVay mentioned earlier this week that a lot of Allen Robinson's slow production is out of his control, which I I somewhat agree with. Allen Robinson, he's kind of more of that X-type receiver going up against, more often than not, uh, the opposing team's number one cornerback, Cooper Cup, in that slot role, kind of gets more touches schemed up to him. And Cooper Cup, so far this season, I mean, he's still on a historic pace. Yeah, he, it's he, ridiculous, it, actually, it, what he's doing. It's pretty ridiculous. He's on pace to crush his numbers from last season. Michael Thomas, I saw a stat the other day. Michael Thomas, obviously, he has the NFL's all-time reception record for a single season with 149. Cooper Cup, right this second, he's on pace to catch 179 footballs this I, season. I believe it. Man had 19 targets um, yeah. when he played against the 49ers. When I saw that, because I wasn't watching that game, when I saw he had 19, that, I've never heard of that before. 19 targets in one game is ridiculous. It's absolutely unheard of. Cooper Cup is just, for the past year and so far this season, just an absolute target machine. Allen Robinson, I mean, I, I Allen Robinson, the addition of A-Rob to the Rams, I think people expected that to kind of stray away from Cooper Cup's value a little bit, but honestly, I feel like it's only boosted Cooper Cup. It's given the Rams a, yeah. it's given the Rams another legit option on the outside, and so far, Allen Robinson has taken the fall. He's clearly given up a lot of targets to Cooper Cup, and it, honestly, any pass catcher in this Rams offense besides Cooper Cup is going to be extremely volatile. Tyler Higby's been on fire recently, but you can't really expect him to keep up the consistent 10-target games. Cooper Cup, just an absolute target hog from Stafford in that offense. Just not much you can do if you're Allen Robinson in that situation. So moving on to the next guy here, next potential drop candidate. Aiden, we'll start with you this time. Is it time to hit the panic button on DJ Moore of the Carolina Panthers? Yeah, you got it's not even his fault either, though. You have to drop him. I, like, I knew Baker Mayfield was bad. I didn't know he was that bad. After <laughs> watching the Cardinals game, I was – it's it's rough for him. It's hard for him to get the ball past the line of scrimmage. Now it's it's getting ridiculous, and it's not even DJ's fault. It's, you know, DJ Robbie Anderson. I mean, like they're trying, but the ball is just not getting to them, and they don't. The Panthers don't even have better options like that. Um, uh, what you call it? I forget his name right now. Uh, from the Jets, he's still injured after the ankle injury earlier in the year. I don't know if PJ Walker's still on the roster, so DJ Moore's not looking like he's going to get any help. Yeah. So I'm, I'd have to go with the drop of this one as well. What about you, Seth? Um, kind of the same Allen Robinson thing. If there's a guy who wants to trade for him based off name value alone, go ahead and take some sort of guy who was drafted late in drafts as some sort of late-round flyer with some pop. 
it's it's a miserable stat line so far for DJ Moore. He's gotten he got he had six targets in every game of his first three, and then this past week had eleven against Arizona, which is encouraging. But he managed just fifty yards on six catches. So this offense is extremely capped. Most of the offense runs through Christian McCaffrey. Baker Mayfield has just shown the complete inability to target his number one wide receiver in DJ Moore. And I think if again, if you can get some sort of trade worked out, go for it. But I, I'm definitely panicking. Yeah, and we saw the Panthers try to get him a little more involved this past weekend. 11 targets. He did have six catches for 50 yards, his best game of the season thus far. Um, I agree. DJ Moore and Allen Robinson, I, I don't think that they're in drop territory just yet, just like mainly because of their uh, name value. I feel like you can potentially swing a trade, maybe not with them being as a centerpiece, but you could definitely throw them in there and kind of throw them in as a sweetener for another trade uh, that's centered around some some better options. But, you know, DJ Moore, the a lot of this falls on the Panthers' offense. Baker Mayfield is just a completely incompetent quarterback. He cannot get the ball to his wide receivers nearly efficient enough for DJ Moore to live up to his WR1 expectations. Christian McCaffrey this past weekend, we saw him be the most involved in the receiving game he's been all season. Nine catches and a touchdown in the receiving game for him. Uh, DJ Moore, if that keeps up for Christian McCaffrey, it's looking like DJ Moore could potentially be the second passing option in this offense, which is not good, to say the least, when you're on the Carolina Panthers catching balls from Baker Mayfield. DJ Moore and Allen Robinson both need to stay out of lineups until further notice. Borderline droppable. I'm giving them one or two more weeks to show what they got, but they're both those players are definitely on thin ice in fantasy purposes. Moving on to our next potential drop candidate here. This guy suffered an injury recently. Potentially long-term, will definitely be out for the next couple of weeks. Seth, Traylon Burks, what are you doing with him? I'm trading for him and. Every league I can get my hands on him in. Um, I traded for him not too long ago, and I loved where he was at. This was two weeks ago, I think. He's an ascending talent, I believe, in an offense that's kind of devoid of a true number one true number one wide receiver, though Robert Woods has looked a little bit improved. I think the versatility of Traylon Burks, maybe replacing, not, not nearly replacing, but kind of filling in minimally at least, and that A.J. Brown role of last year and the years prior I think is an encouraging thing, and I think that's what they wanted him to do, and I think think that's where he was headed before the turf toe. So I don't think he's droppable. I think if someone's willing to drop him or trade him, I think you have to pounce all over that. I agree with Seth. Uh, Be kind of nuts if somebody did drop him, but definitely one I would want to pick up. Uh, Rookie wide receiver, you know, still got time to grow, things like that. He's got a Offense that really isn't pass dominant, won't be pass dominant, but still, as he mentioned, can kind of halfway fill the role A.J. Brown left there. Um, definitely one I would hold on to uh, for future games down the road. Yeah, Traylon Burks, interesting situation here. Uh, suffered turf toe in their most recent game. Hasn't practiced this week. It's looking more and more likely he will be out this week and potentially a couple more weeks after that. Traylon Burks, it's a weird case because he's involved with this Titans offense. Traylon Burks, obviously he gets A.J. Brown comparisons. He's not A.J. Brown yet. Mm-hmm. The That offense has Robert Woods. They still have Derrick Henry. This honestly all depends. I am, just for the record, I am keeping him on my, on my roster. I'm stashing him on you my should, bench. should, yeah. Stashing him on my IR, on my bench. 
but I, I, I'm, I don't know how fully confident I am that he will have a breakout this season. Just similar situation to DJ Moore, just mainly involved with the offense. Ryan Tannehill, he, he's not really an – I mean, Ryan Tannehill, he's just – what are you going to say about him? He's just not – he's not a good enough quarterback to support multiple relevant fantasy options in this offense. A.J. Brown was able, was able to overcome it. Uh, Derrick Henry so far this season, he has not been able to overcome the Titans offense, and if he can't, then I'm not sure how many people will be able to. Traylon Burks, even when he's been on the field this season, hasn't really produced not a game over 10 points so far this season. So Traylon Burks, obviously he has the high upside. I'm stashing him on my bench until he gets back, but don't really have many expectations for him right now until we see it from him this season. Moving on to our next candidate here. Julio Jones, signed by the Buccaneers this offseason, was expected to hop into a potential WR3 role, get some targets from Tom Brady. He's suffered some injuries already so far this season. So, Aiden, what are you doing if you have Julio Jones on your roster? Um, You've got to look to trade him. Name-wise, you should be able to get something out of him, but Mike Evans is back now. Uh, Chris Godwin's fully healthy, it seems like. So his production number is going to be going down a little bit. Couldn't stay healthy. Uh, I think it was the first game of the season, maybe the second. He was playing pretty well. Just kind of reminiscent of his older days, uh, his younger days, excuse me. But now since uh, those two are back fully, um, yeah, Cole Beasley retired earlier this week. Um, but he just got there, only caught like five balls in Bruce or something like that. So he wasn't having a big part. Scotty Miller, he's been interesting this year. Um, I'm looking to, if I have him on my roster, I'm looking to trade him away, get something back, just because of his name, really. Yeah, I think he's probably the best drop candidate so far. There's a lot of competition, to say the least, in this Buccaneers offense. Mike Evans is the wide receiver 1, 1A. Godwin might be the 1B. Russell Gage is there. Cameron Brait is there. Rashad White is a ascending running back talent, especially in the receiving game. And Tom Brady's inability to hit the deep ball this season has been just really not like him and also very concerning. There's guys in the NFL for fantasy purposes like KJ Hamler and Marquez Valdez-Scantling that have made a living off of catching the big play. And in the event that Julio Jones somehow were to work his way into that role, Tom Brady's inability to hit that deep ball and get those big chunk plays for a guy like Julio Jones is kind of completely at the window now. Nor would he be targeted with all these receivers. So, yeah, I think I think you probably drop him. Yeah, Julio Jones kind of missed a prime opportunity there. He got hurt, and Chris Godwin, he got hurt week one as well. Mike Evans, he missed that game due to suspension with his altercation with Marshawn Lattimore. Julio Jones there kind of had an opportunity to step into a possible WR1 role, show what he's got, but unfortunately he was off the field as well. Now the Bucks are starting to get their weapons back. Godwin's back on the field. Evans back on the field. Julio Jones, he returned last week as well, but only caught one ball for seven yards. I mean, outside of the top two options in this offense, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Uh, Leonard Fournette also gets a lot of receiving work as well. We saw Rashad White get receiving work this past week. So if those two remain as involved in the receiving game as they were last week, then that spells trouble for Julio Jones, especially considering that you have guys like Russell Gage leaning right there as well, scrapping for targets with Julio. So... Extremely volatile situation here for Julio. Maybe he sh- he showcased some upside in Week One when he caught that deep ball from Tom Brady, 
But I'm not expecting Julio Jones to put up any any type of crazy numbers here throughout the rest of the season. If you have a guy that you like on waivers, I think you can cut bait with Julio and get away with it. Just nothing really special at this point in Julio Jones' career, which is sad to see, but it happens to everyone eventually. And our last drop candidate here, th- th- this one's interesting. Elijah Moore of the New York Jets. Elijah Moore coming into this season, he was expected to be the Jets' WR1, expected to have a second-year breakout. But Garrett Wilson, he he is caught on to the NFL rather quickly for the New York Jets. He's already broken out. And Elijah Moore, he has been he's been not a beneficiary of that. Elijah Moore, he hasn't really had a great season so far. Uh, pull up Elijah Moore's stats here. He has not had a single game over 10 points so far this season. Still getting inconsistent targets. Zach Wilson back now for the Jets, who Elijah Moore didn't really have great chemistry with last year. So start with Aiden on this one. What are you doing with Elijah Moore? He's another one where you got to look at your options. I would say he's not in the drop room yet. Um, kind of look at what you have. I'd say at the moment, the way it's looking, if you need to throw him in at the flex spot, he's not going to, as you mentioned, he has gotten more than 10 points this year, so don't expect anything wild from him, but he's definitely not, he doesn't need to be dropped yet. Um, he's got a little bit more time on his hands before we get to that point. Even though the offense really isn't tailored towards him, especially since the way Garrett Wilson has been, to me, kind of surprisingly, uh, very, very good this season. Um, I'd just say hold on to him for a little bit longer. Yeah, I don't think you can really trade him based off his production so far this season, and I don't think you can drop him. I think let Zach Wilson lean into this season, let him grow a little bit this season with Garrett Wilson, Tyler Conklin, Brees Hall. Kind of let maybe let Elijah Moore be that deep threat in this offense, and if he can do anything like he did for a stretch of last season, I, th- I think it's a very wise stash. Yeah, for sure. Elijah Moore, in my opinion, not droppable quite yet. I think that Jets offense, Jets pass catchers, they have potential upside here with some positive game script. You know, the Jets, they haven't gotten off to a bad start so far this season, sitting at 2-2. Two and two. But, you know, they're still the New York Jets. Don't think they're quite there yet. Still think they have some steps to take before they enter even 500 football team status. So I think there will be plenty of opportunities for positive game script for Elijah Moore. Hasn't really put it together yet, but... The targets, they've been there uh, despite last week's four targets. Week three, he collected nine targets. Week one, seven targets. Hasn't really been able to turn it into positive production, but the volume has been there for the most part for Elijah Moore. But I am a little concerned about those four targets with Zach Wilson. As previously mentioned, Zach Wilson and Elijah Moore didn't really have, didn't really build that chemistry last year. It was when Joe Flacco entered for the Jets that Elijah Moore really saw that breakout. So I, I definitely am weary of Elijah Moore. He he basically has no value right now, but I also don't think that you can drop him quite yet. Similar to A-Rob and DJ Moore, I'm giving him a couple more weeks, see what he can do, see if he can put together some encouraging signs, some positive games. But Elijah Moore, definitely not startable right now. Just a stash on the bench. Throw a Hail Mary, say a prayer, hope that he can get it going towards the stretch run of the season. Alright, we are going to enter our portion of the show where we start giving our top 10 options for week 5 of the fantasy football season. 
We're going to start off with quarterbacks here. Seth, take it away with your top 10 quarterbacks for week five. I'm going to take Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Justin Herbert, Tom Brady, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, Andy Dalton, and Teddy Bridgewater. Kyler Murray cracking your top five against Philly's defense. Yeah, I kind of like his ability to run. Yeah, that running quarterbacks, man, that upside in fantasy. Yeah. By the same virtue I like Hurts, I like Kyler Murray. Yeah, 100%. Who did the Saints play this week? Seattle. Oh, Saints against yeah. Seattle. I see yes. why he's in your top ten. Yeah, I don't so you, blame you. <laughs> in the event that Andy Dalton throws for uh, six touchdown passes, you know. All right, start get going here. Number ten, I have Kirk Cousins versus Chicago. Uh, expecting that Vikings offense to put their foot on the gas pedal a little bit against that Chicago defense. Think it'll be a good day for them. Joe Burrow against Baltimore. Baltimore's defense been a little leaky so far this season, but. Joe Burrow, he still still has to put it together a little bit. Hasn't really been as sharp as we've seen him be so far this season. Number eight, I have Derek Carr against the Chiefs. Uh, Raiders versus Chiefs, always a shootout every single time they play. Derek Carr will be a beneficiary, beneficiary of that this week. I'm expecting a big game out of him and the Raiders offense. Number seven, Aaron Rodgers against the Giants. Just an absolute smash spot here. Equal playing field, playing in London. Expecting Aaron Rodgers and the Packers offense to have a great day. Number six, Tom Brady versus Atlanta. Another smash spot for him, getting all of his weapons back. Offense starting to get healthy. Number five, Lamar Jackson against the Bengals. Lamar Jackson, he's been a top fantasy quarterback so far this season. But not really a huge fan of the matchup against the Bengals, but Lamar Jackson will get it done nonetheless. Number four, Justin Herbert against Cleveland. Cleveland's defense uh, shown flashes this season, but hasn't been very consistent. Justin Herbert uh, getting Keenan Allen back potentially. That'll give him a boost. Patrick Mahomes at number three against the Raiders. As mentioned, that game's always a shootout. Mahomes will do his thing. Josh Allen against Pittsburgh at number two. And then Jalen Hurts I have as my top fantasy quarterback of the week against the Cardinals. Aiden, take it away. Mine looking a little bit similar to yours, Nick. Um, my 10 through 5, no order here. But uh, Lamar, he should have a solid week this week. Uh, Mahomes is in there as well. Joe Burrow, Kyler Murray, and Kirk Cousins. He's also in that. Uh, they go against Chicago this week. So Chicago, not very good, clearly. Um, number five, Justin Herbert. They're going up against Cleveland. Cleveland just losing against the Falcons. I still accept, expect Herbert to do his thing. Uh, Derek Carr, he's my number four right now. As you mentioned, shootout always whenever them in case, uh, Kansas City play. Expecting him to do well as well. Uh, Tom Brady is my number three going up against ATL. Uh, AJ Terrell will probably be realistic. He'll probably lock up Mike Evans the entire game. But as you mentioned, he, all those wide receivers are back healthy, so he should have a good game as well throwing the ball. I feel like this is kind of his uh, – Kind of a comeback game for him because, you know, he's kind of been slacking a little bit recently. Number two, Mr. Allen from Buffalo. He should have a good game as well against Pittsburgh. And then number one, uh, Mr. Hurts himself. He should have another big game in a big win. Yes, sir. I will believe that the Eagles offense will slow down once I see it, gentlemen. All yeah, right. same way. <laughs> All right, moving on to running backs here. I'll start off here. Just starting off here, no Derrick Henry, Christian McCaffrey, or Dalvin Cook in my top 10 running backs this week. Imagine somebody said that no to Dalvin you. No Dalvin Cook? No Dalvin Cook in my top 10 this week. Imagine somebody said that to you before the season, that they would not be in your top 10 rankings for week five. 
that just shows how crazy of a year has been for the running back position. Number 10, I have Josh Jacobs against Kansas City. He will be a beneficiary of that shootout. Number 9, Miles Sanders against the Cardinals. Miles Sanders coming off that big week last week, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, Cardinals, bit of a leaky defense. I think the Eagles will still try to establish the run a little bit and get Sanders as involved as he was last week. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at number 8 against the Raiders. Another one. He's been great this season. He's kind of flying under the radar a little bit. He's been putting up high-end RB1 numbers so far this season. He's been wildly efficient. I think he'll have another great game against the Raiders. Number 7, Joe Mixon against Baltimore. He's gotten he's gotten the workload so far this season. Uh, hasn't really put it into insane fantasy numbers yet, but as long as that workload is there, he's going to continue to be a top option for fantasy owners. Number six, James Robinson against Houston. I mean, the matchup doesn't get much better than this. James Robinson, he's shown that he can still handle a workhorse role for the Jacksonville offense. I'm expecting him to get a lot of touches here and make the most of them against Houston. Number five, Aaron Jones against the Giants. As mentioned, I'm expecting the Packers to have a great game over in London. I think Aaron Jones will benefit from the Giants' defense. I think it will catch a lot of passes this week. Number four, Leonard Fournette against the Falcons. Uh, smash spot for the Bucks' offense as a whole. Leonard Fournette, we saw him catch seven balls last week, so as long as that receiving workload continues, uh, Leonard Fournette definitely has top five, top five upside this week. Number three, two, one. Three, I have Austin Eckler against Cleveland. Two, I have Nick Chubb against the Chargers. Number one, the best back in fantasy so far this season, Saquon Barkley against the Packers. Aiden, take it away. No order once again until my top five. I've got Joe Mixon in there, Miles Sanders. Uh, my boy Khalil Herbert, he's come in clutch for me so many yes, times sir. this season so far. Uh, CEH, as you mentioned, Edward DeLaire. And then Nick Chubb is my six. Um, oh, wow. I don't know why I put him there, but I was just feeling, I don't, I don't think this will be too, too big of a week for him um, going up against uh, the Chargers defense. James Robinson this is my five going up against the Texans. As you mentioned, the matchup there cannot get any better. Um, Fournette, he's in here um, against for my four. Again, they're going up against the Falcons. Falcons not a very good run defense. I expect Fournette, who's also been kind of outside of fantasy, been having a pretty decent season uh, when it comes to running the ball. Dalvin Cook, he's my number three going against Chicago. Once again, Chicago, not very good. Austin Eckler is my number two against the Cleveland. Against Cleveland, uh, and then number one. Kind of surprised myself putting this one up here a little bit. Um, I've got the king himself, Mr. Henry. Wow. Yeah, going up against uh, the Washington D line. We'll see how it fares, but I feel like we're having a big week out of him. See, I'm just not liking the matchups for Henry, CMC, and Coke this week. That's Mm -hmm. why I. Veered them out of my top ten. See if they if they were being their usual selves so far this season, top ten no matter what the matchup is. But they just haven't proved to me so far this season that they can overcome bad matchups. So Seth, take it away with your top ten running backs for week five. I've got Fournette at ten. I've got Aaron Jones, Christian McCaffrey. Out of pure respect, I know that San Fran defense has been absolutely fantastic to this point. Derrick Henry, Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Austin Eckler. Alvin Kamara, Nick Chubb at two, and then Saquon Barkley at one. Saquon Barkley at one. No surprise there. He's been the best back in fantasy football so far this season. Pleasant surprise for people who drafted him in the second round. 
Now we move on to our top 10 wide receivers of the week. I'll get it started here. Number 10, I have Cortland Sutton tonight on Thursday Night Football against the Colts. Uh, as mentioned earlier, Broncos may try to veer more towards a pass-heavy offense with Javante Williams gone. Uh, Cortland Sutton has been Russell Wilson's top option by far, so expecting Cortland Sutton, honestly, to be the main beneficiary of the Javante Williams injury, and that all starts tonight. Number 9, I have Debo Samuel against the Panthers. Debo Samuel, the dual threat going up against the pretty leaky Panthers team. The defense has been solid, but... You know, you just can never trust Carolina these days. And Debo Samuel, he's an explosive weapon. Hasn't really gotten going to his level of expectations so far this season. I'm expecting that to get started very soon and possibly this week. So he goes in at the number nine slot. Jamar Chase at number eight against the Ravens. Jamar Chase, uh, week one, he had an explosive game. Hasn't really, hasn't really flashed that much upside since, but we all know it's there. Could be showcased this week against Baltimore's leaky secondary. Uh, number seven, Mike Evans against the Falcons. Mike Evans, the Falcons, a uh, good spot for the Bucks offense. As Aiden mentioned earlier, Mike Evans will be shadowed by Terrell, which prevents him from moving up higher in my rankings. But nonetheless, I expect Tom Brady to feed Evans the ball early and often. Number six, I have Tyreek Hill against the Jets. Tyreek Hill would be upgraded were Tua to be playing this week, but... Obviously, that devastating injury on Thursday Night Football, he will not be playing. Bridgewater, not sure how much he'll be able to get Tyreek Hill the ball down the field. So, Tyreek Hill, borderline top five option for me this week. Number five, Justin Jefferson against the Bears. As mentioned earlier, expecting the Vikings offense to have a day against the Chicago Bears. Only thing preventing Jefferson from moving higher up is potential negative game scripts. Vikings could get ahead early and often, preventing them from throwing the ball in the second half. Number four, I have Stephon Diggs against Pittsburgh. That game will be a shootout. Stephon Diggs, he'll always get fed by Josh Allen. Weekly top five option. Number three, I have Adams against KC. That game will be a shootout, as previously mentioned. I'm expecting Carr to feed Devontae Adams throughout the entirety of the afternoon. Number two, A.J. Brown against the Cardinals. Brown hasn't really had a very explosive game since week one. He's stayed consistent throughout the season, but I'm expecting him to blow up sooner rather than later, and it could come this week in the desert. Number one, no surprise here, Cooper Cup, the best receiver in fantasy football against the Dallas Cowboys. Seth, take it away with your top ten. We've got T. Higgins at number ten, Debo Samuel at nine, CeeDee Lamb at eight, A.J. Brown at 7, Tyree Kill at 6, Justin Jefferson at 5, Jamar Chase at 4, Stephon Diggs at 3, followed by Adams and Cooper Cup. Hey, for me, uh, we kind of all have the same names in ours, and once again, no order until my 5. Uh, Jalen Waddle, Corlin Sutton, uh, Debo, Jamar Chase, and then one, I'm um, expecting to have a big game, uh, Chris Olave. I'm expecting him. Wow. Yeah, kind of out there, but I'm expecting him to come into his own, even though he's really had a great season. I can say confidently the best rookie wide receiver season so far. Yeah, out of, I would say all, so. Yeah, out of all the other rookies, uh, best one for him so far, even though he's got Jameis throwing him the ball, but he'll have Andy Dalton throwing him the ball on Sunday. But starting my five, A.J. Brown going, to get, going up against the Cardinals defense. He's my number five. Um, Tyreek, he's at my four uh, only because, you know, Bridgewater doesn't have to get the ball downfield to him. He 
five-yard slant, boom, let Tyreek do the rest. Uh, Devontae Adams, he's my three. Uh, Stephon Diggs going up against Pittsburgh, he's my number two. And then, of course, we know who the number one is. If that man gets more than 16 targets on Sunday, I don't know what I'm going to do if Cooper does that. That, It's ridiculous. Yeah, seriously. Cooper Cup showcasing that he is one of, if not the best receiver in the National Football League. Some thought that we would see a decline this season, but hasn't happened. Uh, the only thing we've seen out of Cooper Cup this season is a is an incline in yeah. production. Pretty remarkable, considering the season he had last year. All right, so now we're hopping into our tight ends, only doing the top seven tight ends, considering how volatile the position is in fantasy. Number seven, I have TJ Hawkinson against the Patriots. Uh, Hawkinson had that breakout game last week, but tough matchup against the Pats D. Number six, George Kittle against the Panthers, borderline top five option this week. Uh, Kittle hasn't really got it going, even since last year, hasn't really had a breakout game. Uh, So Kittle, he's definitely looking to get back on track, get back to his usual ways of receiving the football. Number five, I have Dallas Goddard against the Cardinals. Goddard, central piece of that Eagles offense. He'll continue to eat up six to eight targets per game. And if he scores a touchdown or two in there, that'll leap him in the top three status. Number four, I have Tyler Higbee against the Cowboys. He's been a revelation for that Rams offense. He's established himself thus far as Matthew Stafford's number two option next to Cooper Cup. A nice double-digit target game for him last week, so he cracks the top five. Darren Waller at number three against the Chiefs. Darren Waller, he will benefit as well from this potential shootout. Uh, Devontae Adams, he will always get peppered with targets, but Waller right there is the number two option. And once when once the defense starts catching on to Adams a little bit, Carr is going to have to find that outlet, and I think it will be Waller. Number two and number one, no surprise here. Number two, Mark Andrews against the Bengals, and number one, Travis Kelsey against the Raiders. Aiden, who are your top seven tight ends for this week? Six and seven for me, uh, Gerald Everett and Tyler Higbee. And then starting off with number five, uh, Mark Andrews going up against the Bengals is my five. Darren Waller going up against Kansas City's four for me. Hawkinson going up against uh, the Patriots, number three. Um, looking for a big game from him to continue from last week. Goddard is my number two. He's been pretty consistent all year. Um, hasn't scored a lot, but uh, lots of yardage coming from him. And then number one, I don't think there will be a week this entire year where this man isn't your number one, but Travis Kelsey's the number one. No kidding. Got Dallas Goddard at tight end seven. Kyle Pitts, I'm having having my fingers crossed that he's going to be able to take some sort of step, and Arthur Smith is going to be able to uh, game plan some targets going his way. TJ Hawkinson's up next. Tyler Higby at four. Darren Waller at three. Mark Andrews at two. And Travis Kelsey at number one. Pretty general consensus there on the top seven tight ends, give or take a couple spots, but for the most part, all the same players between me, Seth, and Aiden. We are going to round out today's episode. We are at the quarter mark of the football season. It's a pretty significant milestone here. Top five fantasy MVP candidates so far this season. Seth, we'll start with you. Who's your top five? got Nick Chubb, who's been a surprise. Well, he was a what, third, fourth-round pick mm-hmm. in that yeah. range, not really approaching the second. So people that drafted him are sitting pretty. Got Saquon Barkley at 
another candidate spot. He was a fringe first-round pick, especially late into the summer. He's been absolutely phenomenal. Stephon Diggs, he has been he's been great. A little bit, little bit inconsistent, but I think his his ceiling is absolutely unmatched. Amonra St. Brown, who saw a lot of decline, it seemed in ADP ADP throughout the offseason. People figured that T.J. Hawkinson being back and fully healthy would really deplete his value, but it's really done nothing at all. He's been absolutely fantastic. And then Cooper Cup, the king of fantasy football, has to be leading the way so far. Mm-hmm. Aiden, who's your top five? Um, at the moment, um, honorable mention, Saquon. Not for me personally. He's not in my top five. Though. Number five, um, Nick Chubb. He's only going to go up from where he's been so far this season. Uh, number four, Lamar. He's been throwing the ball pretty well. Um, even though he doesn't have much receivers, and then you know he can also run it in himself as well. Uh, Josh Allen, he's my next one at this one, only because the Bills really don't have a run offense, and he is their run offense really. So he's going to end up getting those points as well. Number two, kind of surprising a little bit myself. Jalen Hurts still is at number two for me in the MVP spot, only because he can do so much, run it himself, toss it to A.J. Brown. Uh, hand it off if he needs to, but most likely keeping himself or tossing it to AJ. And the number one, Cooper Cup. <laughs> I mean, the man, it's ridiculous uh, what he's doing this year. It honestly is ridiculous. All right, my top five here. Number five and four, pretty interchangeable in my eyes. I have Nick Chubb and Saquon Barkley. My, Saquon has had a slight edge in production over Chubb. Chubb, though, went slightly later in drafts than Saquon, so Chubb giving off a little more value, Saquon giving off a little more production so far this season. Those guys are interchangeable to me at four and five. Number three, I have Jalen Hurts. He's taken a massive step forward this season in the passing game. He will always have his legs. He's been putting up numbers all year long for fantasy managers. He comes in at number three. Number two, I have Cooper Cup. I did not give him the number one slot. Cooper Cup, and again, this is mainly just based off value. Cooper Cup, going in the first round in drafts this offseason, which is very understandable, and he has lived up to those expectations, could potentially have an even more historic season this year than he did last year, which is just absolutely remarkable. Cooper Cup, no doubt, going to lead the top of the leaderboards and fantasy MVPs all season long, but... My fantasy MVP at the quarter mark of the season, Lamar Jackson. He has been the best player in fantasy in my league in terms of total points. Uh, Weeks two and three, he just absolutely exploded, showcased his ceiling. I'm expecting a lot of ceiling games out of Lamar Jackson, and I'm expecting uh, NFL MVP candidate Lamar Jackson throughout the rest of the season. So there we have it, our top five candidates for fantasy MVP at the quarter mark of the season. That'll wrap up today's episode of Gridiron Forecast. You can catch every episode of Gridiron Forecast uploaded wherever you listen to your podcast on Thursday evenings before Thursday Night Football every single week. I'm your host, Nick Rizzo, joined today by Seth Fisher and Aiden Butler. Thank you all for tuning in and have a fantastic night. 
You've been listening to Gridiron Forecast with your host, Nick Rizzo. Make sure to tune in weekly for new episodes. You can find Gridiron Forecast in every Rowan Radio sports podcast by searching Rowan Radio On Demand Sports wherever you find your podcasts.